1: It's Friday, January the 13th. Unlucky for some, but we're not superstitious around here. I'm Hugh Linehan, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. Pat Leahy and Cormac McQueen are here to discuss the story of the week, really. Uh, And Cormac, uh, to mangle Oscar Wilde, to lose one junior minister because he failed to mention his property ownership is unfortunate, to lose two for the same reason within 12 months looks a bit like carelessness. What happened to Damien English this week?
2: (laughs) Within six months for very similar things. I mean, this all down to... Stories that appeared in the Ditch website this week outlining how he didn't declare a, a property that he owns in County Mead for a number of years in the Doll Register of Interest. And also, then subsequently, it was revealed that when he was making a planning application for a once off home in rural County Mead, he didn't declare. As was required to do on on the form that he owned this property previously. So there's kind of two issues. One is whether or not he should have declared it to the doll, and secondly that he provided incorrect information to me, county council, when when he made the planning application. So I mean, life comes at you fast if you're in Finnegale. The story on the planning application was published, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, by that night, Damien English was handing in his resignation to the Taoiseach Leo of Radker. Uh, It was announced that he was gone then uh, yesterday morning, Thursday morning, very early. And uh, now, less than a day later, uh, we have a new junior minister in the Department of Enterprise, Neil Richmond of Dublin Ratdown, who has been, I suppose, chomping at the bit for quite a while to get a, a ministerial job and uh, now now finds himself installed in Damien English's old job.
1: So this was a very quick departure compared to the Robert Troy incident a few months ago. Is that because of what happened in the Robert Troy incident or is it because it's a more serious matter?
2: I think there was some learnings from from the Robert Troy case. I mean, that dragged on for the guts of two weeks at least, if I recall. There was the initial you know revelations about how he hadn't fully declared property interests, but then a drip, drip over the over the coming days, and you know it, to the point where where coalition leaders Miel Martin and uh, Leo Varadkar were defending him for days, and then it just got to the point where uh, he could no longer hang on, and uh, he had to go. So I mean, it, there was there was nothing to be gained for the government last time around when that happened in terms of how long it dragged out. Uh, so we, this time around, as I say, in less than twenty four hours that. The, the revelations came and and Damien English was, was gone. Uh, you know it it's it's it perhaps it speaks to a, a better uh, you know media str- handling strategy on, on Finnegales part. Uh, but uh, either way, uh, it was dealt with much more quickly this time.
1: So maybe Pat they did learn some lessons from the last time. But it strikes me, you know, in, in, in assessing the gravity of the of the matter, and you've taken into account, I suppose, to some extent, the fact it was quite a long time, about fourteen years or, or so ago. The Robert Troy ones, there were were grey areas. They they could be presented as sins of omission, I suppose, a failure to fill out forms correctly and things like that. This strikes me more as a sin of commission. Um, uh, Not only did he fail to declare his ownership of a property, he stated on an official document that he did not own a property. Some people would call that a lie. You could certainly, I think, call it deeply misleading.
0: Yeah, well, without getting too deeply into the Taxonomy of sins, uh, huge. You know, one of your favourite subjects. But I think it was a similar order to the comparable to the uh, to the Robert Troy uh, infractions. In the case of Robert Troy, not listing your properties was the problem, and misunderstanding the regulations as uh, perhaps he claimed to do. are to be not sufficiently attentive to them, as was one of his excuses, is not really, uh, that doesn't get you out of jail on this one. It doesn't get you out of jail legally. It doesn't get you out of jail politically. But I suppose you're right in that there is a greater clarity, perhaps, to Damien English's crime. I use that word metaphorically, uh, obviously, rather than legally. You know, he entered uh, on the form... To get planning permission, he entered a, a, a falsehood, and there's, you know, a clarity and a simplicity, as I say, about that uh, that um, that I think didn't really allow for, uh, you know, the sort of defences that Robert Troy uh, tried unsuccessfully, uh, it must be said, to to employ, um, and I think that Cormac is 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 right there were clearly political lessons learned from the painful and somewhat lengthily drawn out saga of Robert Troy's departure last summer. Uh, once the story was uh, was posted, English essentially held up his hands and offered um, his, his resignation, which is testament, to, uh, I, I think, to the new reality in Irish politics that, uh, you know, we used to we used to say that nobody ever resigns in Irish politics. Well, by golly, they do now. They resign with, um, with some regularity, uh, it seems. But it's about time, isn't it? He was right to resign. Oh, I, I think that there was, there was no way that he could have stayed uh, in the current climate. I wonder, though, and maybe the measure of how Irish politics uh, has changed and how, for all the criticisms that Irish politics uh gets that accountability to a point anyway, is is now one of its uh is now one of its features and you know he is what Cormac the the fourth minister between cabinet ministers and ministers of state yeah, uh, to uh to depart from this government either willingly or uh or unwillingly and um you know you 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 throw in European Commissioner into that as well, and to be honest, the headcount in this government, which is only two and a
2: half years old, is uh, is pretty high. You know, it is. It, it's providing uh, a few unexpected opportunities to promote some backbenchers who who may otherwise have felt very disappointed not to get jobs. Uh, so that's that's the one positive for for the coalition leaders out of all of us. But it's it's still it's still very embarrassing, you know, to 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 have lost four ministers. In a space of two and a half years, I mean, you can talk all you like about how it shows that old oh, people are accountable now and all of that, but it's 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 extraordinary when you think about it. You know, like like very few ministers. I can think Dennis Nocton in recent in recent years resigned, but there that, there hasn't been that many heads rolling in, in previous governments.
1: How how significant is it that this um, controversy again centres on questions of housing and property ownership? I mean, it's, it seems to me it's karmic uh, it's a, it's another gift to to the opposition and to critics of the government um, that that politicians are out of touch, that they're part of the property owning rentier classes as opposed to the people who are struggling in the housing crisis. This all feeds into that, doesn't
2: it? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, every year there's an exercise done. How many politicians are landowners and landlords? Once the declaration of interest comes out, arising from from the Robert Troy case and from this one and and other politicians who have made supplementary changes to the register, there's there's a suspicion now that that there may be even more people with property interest, but they just haven't fully disclosed them. So it's it's a gift to to opposition parties in the midst of a housing crisis. You know, here we here we have another minister that's a, that's a property owner. He didn't he didn't declare it. It's very bad politically for the, for the government to ha- keep having these issues arising. Um, and both Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin were asked yesterday about the the possibility that they should just you know audit all of their ministers to make sure that that no one has similar skeletons in the in the closet. They were very reluctant to. Uh, to uh, to go for that idea yesterday. Anyway, you know, Leo Varadkar saying that political parties don't have access to personal information from politicians, and Mia Martin saying, well, the politicians update their register of interests all the time. You know, they didn't seem to likely to do any sort of special audit of ministers. But you know, perhaps it wouldn't be a bad idea uh, to avoid future hiccups in the in the years ahead.
1: But maybe we should try to differentiate or clarify a little bit with the responsibilities of a TD, who obviously. Um, as long as he stays on the he or she stays on the right side of the law, uh, can point to the fact that they were duly elected by the um, by the electorate at an election. but a government minister serves at the um, at the mercy of the Taoiseach of the day and different standards apply. So it seems to me sometimes when we have these discussions, we confuse the issues between internal party politics, between the responsibilities of an elected representative and the responsibilities of of a member of the government. Maybe we need to be a bit clearer about those things.
0: Well, yes. Um, I suppose ministers are held to a higher standard. They're obviously subject of much greater scrutiny as well. And perhaps that's as it should be because they exercise greater powers on uh, on behalf of uh, of all of us. I suppose, you know, when you look at the effects of this scandal, you know, has has any government ever, you know, been destabilised in any significant way by the departure of a junior minister i don't think so really i mean it's and it's hard to think of the enduring you know if there was any serious or enduring political consequences from uh, from departures in the past resignations tend to kill these sort of stories but where it is damaging for for the government i think to pick up the point that cormac made is in that sort of chipping away at its uh, at its authority sort of of of, of sense it without question, strengthens the narrative of Sinn Féin, particularly in in opposition, that the structure of Irish politics is one as between insiders and outsiders, and the insiders don't believe that the rules uh, apply to them. And and I think that these events will reinforce that uh, perception amongst many voters. And to that extent i think they are that it is a damaging episode for the government even if i would be careful not to you know overstate its significance
1: there is another aspect to this particular story Cormac, that strikes me uh, we've seen ongoing debates over the last couple of uh, last few months and i think tensions between the coalition parties about what climate Mitigation measures are going to mean for the kind of the shape of the country into the future, where people live, how they move around, um, uh, how they deal with each other, and one of the things that's particular it seems to me to Ireland, haven't visited various other countries, including our near neighbours, is the widespread uh, building of one-off houses in in rural areas and that's one of the things that's going to make some of those measures much more difficult to achieve and that's not down to one government or two governments that's something that's been going on for 50 years or more and in a way this is symptomatic of that isn't it it's a kind of looseness around the re- regulations a failure to enact policy or maybe even to turn a blind eye I bet you Damien English wasn't the only person in me who uh, pulled this particular trick
2: absolutely and i 'm looking at the the year in which it happened two thousand and eight you know it wasn 't exactly the the tightest year in terms of regulations of buildings and he, building practices and planning permissions and all of that in in ireland uh, but rural housing i mean it 's been contentious for for decades now the, the The overarching guidelines for when when you can build a, a one off home in rural Ireland haven't been updated since uh, 2005. Now local authorities all have their own versions uh, around the country that they update, but you know, it's, it's, it's well overdue for, for updating under the, under the current policies. I mean, you have to prove links to a local area if you want to move into it. Um, there's also, uh, you know, there are, there are declarations to be made about whether you own property or not as well. All of these factors play into whether or not you will ultimately get planning permission. Uh, that's, that's what will rankle with people in rural Ireland, I think, this, in relation to the Damien English case, is that there may well be lots of people who have been 100% transparent and, and forthcoming with the information that, they, that they've they provided to local authorities when they're when they're applying to build a one-off house and have still been refused. Whereas in Damien English's case, he successfully got that house despite having another house just down the road. Uh, so that that will be will be damaging for Finnegale, I suspect, in some rural communities. Again, the, the one rule for them and one rule for others. Uh, but it, it's a very contentious issue in r- rural Ireland, the issue of housing. I mean the Green Party, they're not thrilled about the one off houses for, for very obvious reasons. It increases uh transportation, uh you know, need for cars on the road. It, it's uh it's less efficient for you know providing services like sewage or electricity or any, or any of the any of the usual things. Even things like school transport has to be provided in rural areas, you know. So there, but then again, you have to balance that against the right of people who are from from places in the countryside to to uh, to live in their own home area, you know. So it's 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 been a contentious issue for decades, and it's it's going to remain so in in the coming years, I suspect.
1: I think it's going to be become a more contentious issue, don't you, Pat? She's been contentious
0: for years, but you have to understand that it is there's great differences in how it is applied across uh, across the country varies from local authority to local authority. I was down in uh, Kerry at the um, uh, over the Christmas period and you can uh, you, you can look across to the where I. I go on the southern side of the Iver Peninsula. You can look across to the Beara Peninsula, and there's hardly any one-off houses uh, on there because it's part of uh, it's part of County Cork. Um, but uh, uh, in Kerry, there's one-off houses everywhere. You could say the same about looking across the different sides of uh, the different sides of Loch Derg, where one-off houses uh, abound on the Tipperary side, and the much um, uh, the much uh, less frequent on uh, on on the Clare side because of different policies pre- uh, pursued by uh, the different local authorities. Uh, but it is you're right it's a, it's a really contentious issue in lots of parts of rural Ireland. The um uh, every freeborn Irish man and woman uh, believes in their natural god-given right to uh, build a big yellow bungalow uh, on, on their parents farmland uh, if they um, uh, if they so wish and obviously uh, that is uh, very strong arguments I would have thought that that is um uh, that is contrary to the co- the the common good. We keep building more one-off houses. It's clearly bad for the uh, for the environment. But they continue to be built in parts of uh, the country, like Kerry, like like Donegal, uh, many other counties, um, at uh, uh, at an impressive rate. Um, I'm betraying my age now, but one of the first Fianna Fáil uh, one of the first Fianna Fáil that uh, I attended uh, was back in 2002, uh, at which the loudest cheer was reserved for the then environment minister, Martin Cullen, when he announced a relaxation of, uh, of rural planning uh, guidelines or that the government would seek to, to pursue that course. So, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a very tricky political issue uh, at the uh, at the local level, and and in a way, I suppose maybe that just adds to the sort of political pungency
1: of this particular controversy. Speaking of the urban-rural divide, Cormac, um, Damien English has been replaced, as you said at the at the start, by, by Neil Richmond from a, a leafy suburb of South Dublin. A, yet another minister from a leafy suburb of South Dublin. Is that wise for Fine Gael to concentrate their their forces so much in what I, I know is one of their electoral heartlands? But
2: it might not play well elsewhere sure i mean it, that particular constituency dublin rat down all three tds are ministers you have neil richmond now you've joseph maddigan minister for special education and uh, Catherine martin of course the green party minister for tourism uh, it probably worked against neil richmond in the last mini reshuffle there before christmas that joseph maddigan was already in place but uh, he's been he's been queuing up for quite some time to get to, get, to become a minister but but you're right it, it's it's it, there there will be Places, parts of the country that have no ministers at all, including now Meade West, uh, that will be wondering why, why, why not, why not, why not us? I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, other people who were in the frame for for potentially this job, were Alan Dillon and Mayo, um, you know, they, they do have Dara Kelly there, who who got promoted there as as a result of Robert Troy's uh, departure. So you know that that part of the country does have a minister, but you know there will be people elsewhere, like like Joe Carey, um, you know. A uh, player, and even even within Dublin, uh, you know, backbenchers like Alan Farrell in, in Dublin Fingal will be in the in the other side of the city. Be wondering why a first time TD uh, perhaps got a job, and and he who's been there since I think two thousand and seven has has not. You know, so there's. There are issues, the rural, rural, urban issues there in terms of what voters will think. But there's also probably, you know, people within Finnegale as well that will be like, well, why, why, why two ministers in one constituency when, when I've been waiting an awful long time.
1: And. A last thought, Pat, if you wouldn't mind. Um, This story was broken by the investigative journalism website, The Ditch. And it's not the first uh, story it's broken. It also had the Robert Troy story. So they have quite a good record um, in recent months and fair play to them, um, we should say. Is this an argument that the media in general needs to kind of pay attention to what these kind of smaller bodies are doing and devote more resources? Because obviously there's, there's stories to be found out there. I suppose the question is how hard is it to find them and should we all be trying harder to find them?
0: Well, I'm sure you could say that. Uh, you could say that as a generic statement any day that we should all be trying harder to do our uh, to do our jobs better. I mean, I think that there is in that you know we've often remarked upon the fracturing of Irish politics. There's a sort of fracturing going on in, in in media as well. Big media brands maybe no longer quite as big as or as dominant as they once were, and a proliferation. Of, uh, of smaller, uh, largely online uh, media outlets that kind of, I, I-, I guess, you know, don't have the sort of reporting responsibilities that we take upon ourselves to try and inform people as best we can of everything significant that is going on in uh, in any given day, as well as to set the agenda by uh, breaking stories on, you know, on the activities of government and other people in, in, in power that they might not necessarily uh, like to see. But I suppose smaller media outlets such as The Ditch have, you know, have the opportunity to concentrate on pursuing these things single-mindedly. And, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably relaxed about it, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, it's I, a good thing, isn't it? Well, I think it, you know, my general journalistic principle is that the more we know about how we are governed and the more we know about the people who govern us, the better we are likely to be governed. And if outlets like the ditch and so forth um, and others. If they increase the level of uh, of scrutiny on uh, on politicians, public figures, parties, and those in power, I, I think that it, that is probably a good thing. Okay, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's maybe a little irritating for uh, for us in uh, in our old, big, old fashioned, legacy media outlets that uh, we're not the ones breaking these stories. But um, I think it'll be uh, it, think it'll be churlish uh, to say that it's uh, that it's a bad thing that uh, that other people. Uh, that other people are, are are doing it i mean i would say that i think that you know with the the power to pursue these uh stories and the the the, the power that a public profile brings to you there is a concomitant responsibility to exercise that power uh res- responsibly and um uh, you know i guess and and, and fairly and uh, i guess that's something that all of us in the media have to be conscious of
1: Absolutely, but I would say kudos to the ditch, and I agree with you. I think you know a thousand flowers bloom to quote uh, that well-known democrat Mao Zedong. And we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to, uh, to Cormac and to Pat. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon, and our engineer JJ Ferner. We're going to be back with you very soon, indeed. But until then, goodbye and have a great weekend.